I want to welcome those of you that this is your first time checking out Elevate Church. Perhaps my name is Colby. I'm the pastor here, and we're in this series called Know Thyself. And I believe that I have, I've got a word for you today that if you will lean in, that if you will kind of, kind of really uh, grab a hold of this, that this could be a roadmap for your life, a roadmap to help you and I uh, live the, the full lives that God has, has promised us. So I would encourage you today, man, let's, let's, uh, let's get involved. Let's be active in this message. Uh, let's respond if you feel this is connecting with you. It's okay to shout me down a little bit so you know. I don't know if you've ever been to a gospel church and I know what some of you are thinking. Hold up, you're white. Listen, don't let the color of my skin fool you. I will preach a little bit. Don't make me come down there, all right? I'm just saying, if this is connecting with you, it's called call and response. You can, you can say amen. Right, it's okay, people are like, it's not, you can't talk in church. Well, this is a different kind of church, it's okay. You can say amen, amen doesn't mean you have it all figured out, by the way, it simply means, God, let that be true in my life. So if that's what you got, that's kinda like level one, just shout me down, say amen, you work your amen. However, if you wanna graduate to level two today, you can say something like, preach, white boy, or you could say, Say so, or say that again, or come on, or that was good, or if it's something hits you deep, you just like moo like a cow, just go, mmm, you know, that's good. That's like level two. Level three in your response would be just, just standing up, like crossed arms, just staring me down, giving me a stink eye or, or whatever it is. And it just makes church a lot more fun when you guys respond, but more than it being fun, here's what I've learned. The more I lean into something, the more I get out of it. And so the more you lean into it, and that goes for anything in your life, by the way, relationships, careers, goals, anything in your life, the more that you will lean in, the more that you'll get out of it. Because how many of you know your, the, your level of pursuit in something is directly tied to your level of hunger for it? So if you're hungry for change in your life, if you're hungry for things to be different in your life, then you will pursue that differently. The hungrier you are, the more you will pursue something. And I'm not just talking about physical hunger. It's not like my stomach's growling and I'm wondering what's, what's for lunch today. Um, what is for lunch today, honey? I don't, e I don't even know what's for lunch today. But not that kind of hunger. I'm talking about a hunger that drives you to attain something a hunger that, that drives you to, to reach for something more than what you are experiencing in your life, a hunger that, that propels you. And often what I've discovered is uh, the difference between good athletes and great athletes isn't talent. It's not that they have you know, natural ability all the time, it's that they have a hunger inside of them, something that's driving them to something else. It's the difference between successful people and average people. I'll meet some incredibly successful people and I'll walk away from conversations with them uh, not saying that person's really smart, you know, they're really bright, but walk away going, that person is driven. That person is tenacious. That person is running after something. And I say all that because the same is true with your relationship with God. That the hungrier you are for it, the more you're willing to get something out of it, the hungrier you are for the purposes to be fulfilled in your life, what God has for you, then the more you will pursue it. But I think for many of us, a lot of times we get stuck with where we are. Even in our faith, in our relationship with God, we get stuck and we get satisfied. Someone say satisfied. Satisfied. And satisfaction will sabotage 
your destiny. It really will. Because when you get satisfied, right, you're no longer driving. You're no longer pursuing. You're no longer reaching for anything. You're kind of satisfied with where you are. And people will push back a little bit and say, well, Colby, I'm satisfied with where I am with Jesus. I'm satisfied with Jesus. And I understand what you mean when you say that theologically. I understand you mean uh, that Jesus is enough for me. After all, he's all that I need. And that's true. I won't argue with you there at all. But when your, 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 your satisfaction of him uh, means that you no longer pursue him or pursue growth in him, then you will get stuck. And now you'll get settled with where you are. When you become satisfied, you get settled. And you settle for status quo. And you settle for average. When God has not called any of us to be average, but he's called us all to be great, called us to greatness. So don't get settled. I'm just praying some of you get a little edge to your faith today, a little teeth to your faith, that you're not simply settled with where you are, satisfied, so you get settled. In fact, here's a few different reasons we get, we get satisfied and we start to settle. One is we start to compare where we are against our own past. And you've heard people say things like, well, you know, I'm not where I want to be, but thank God I'm not where I used to be. And that's great when people say that. However, for some people, it means that they're not driving anymore. They're not looking for anything more that God has for their life. They're saying, after all, I'm doing all right. Like, what is that? Just all right? Who wants to live a life that's just simply all right? But when you get satisfied, you know, and you compare yourself to your past, you begin to settle. Or here's what we'll do. We'll com not compare ourselves to our past, but we'll compare ourselves to other people. And then we get settled. Because how many of you know when you wanna feel good about where you are, you don't compare yourself to anyone who's excelling beyond you. You compare yourself to every joker you can find, right, that's worse off than you. So you can say, well, at least I'm not like that person or at least I'm not doing, I'm not doing that. I'm telling the truth right now, am I not? Like you compare yourself to every joker so that you can feel okay and satisfied with where you have settled and not moving forward anymore. So we settle in relationships, you know, that aren't God's best for us, which by the way, I need to say this, if you said I do, then that is God's best for you now. I mean, God's best is not for you to stay in a relationship with physical abuse or, or, or mental abuse, but if you've said I do, that's God's best for you. But if you are on this side of I do, don't settle. Like, don't settle. Like, we, we, we settle for living in a cycle of debt in our life where we're like, you know what, I'm, I'm in debt, but I'm gonna take this year's tax return and I'm gonna pay off my debt, you know, in order to, you know, move forward to only find ourselves eight months later back in this cycle of debt. Or we get settled and people will say this, they'll say, yeah, Colby, but I think this is just my lot in life, that this is as good as it gets, that this must be God's will for me, that it's not gonna get any better. And I would tell you that is a lie from the pit of hell that God has so much more for you if you just refuse to get satisfied and settle. You'll, you'll get settled when you compare yourself to your past or you compare yourself to others. Uh, you and I will get settled and people will say, well, I don't compare myself to my past or others, but I compare myself to my own potential. Like that's what drives me, Colby, is my own potential. And I would say that's not even a great place for you to start. Because none of us really fully understand the potential that we have with God working inside of us. I think it was Moody who said that the world has not yet seen what a man can do who is fully submitted and yielded to God. Like, so I wouldn't compare yourself to your own potential or your past or others. Here's what I think we should compare ourselves to today. If you wanna jot this down, it's not gonna be up on the screen, 
but you need to compare your life to God's promises. God's promises for you. Are you living up to, are you experiencing every promise that God has for your life? Are you seeing the promises of God and his word fulfilled in your life? That's what you need to compare your life to. You need to, that needs to be your, your standard. I don't know about you, but I want to see every promise God has for me fulfilled in this life, amen? Every single one, every one come to pass. I don't wanna get to the end of my life, you know, 70, 80 years and be like, man, I sucked air for 70 or 80 years. I'm done now, no. Like, I wanna see every promise of God come to pass, every single one. I wanna know that at the end of my life, I made a difference. At the end of my life, my life counted for something and that it mattered for eternity. I wanna get to the end of my life and be like Paul where Paul told us, he said, I'm still pressing on. I'm not satisfied. I'm not settled with where I am. I'm still hungry. In fact, he tells us this in Philippians 3.12. He says, I'm pressing on. I'm pushing towards something. Like Paul, like if anybody could be satisfied, if anybody could be settled with where they are, it would be Paul. If anybody could say, you know what, I'm just gonna sit back and relax, and I'm just gonna let the, the youngsters, you know, kind of, you know, carry this message on, it would be Paul. But Paul said, I'm not satisfied. I'm not settled. I'm gonna press on that I know God has more for me. He said, I'm pressing on towards something. I'm, I'm driving. Here's the guy that wrote over half of the New Testament. Here's the guy that took the gospel to the unreached parts of the world at that time. The guy who was imprisoned and because he had a worship service in prison, the, the gates of the prison flung open, setting all the prisoners free. Even the prison guards came to faith in Christ because of that. The guy who was shipwrecked, the guy who was snake bitten, the guy who was whipped and flogged and stoned. Not that kind of stoned. This is Elevate Church, so I have to make that clear. Like with rocks stoned, right? And that guy says, I'm not done. So what's my excuse? Like what's your excuse for being settled with where you are? He says, I'm not done. He says, I'm pressing on to take hold of something, to take hold of that which Christ Jesus has taken hold of me. Here's what Paul's saying. God has got some great stuff for me and I'm not gonna miss a thing. He went all Aerosmith on us, and I don't want to miss a thing. That was Paul. Thank you. Feel the spirit of Aerosmith coming on. He says, I'm not going to miss any of it. Here's what he's saying. Don't miss this. I haven't arrived yet. I'm not settled. I'm not done with where I am. I'm still hungry for it. And here's what I want to say. If you're here today and you feel as though you've arrived, you've arrived in your faith, that you've received the, the red phone, the direct line to God, that you have the halo right now, then this message today isn't for you. This church probably isn't for you. But if you feel as though God has more for you, that you need to compare your life right now to the promises of God, not to anything else that he wants more for you, that where, where Paul said, I'm not done, I'm still pressing on, then I'm gonna take hold of, of that for which Christ Jesus has taken hold of me, then this message is for you. Here's what Paul is saying. Here's the title of the message today. If you wanna write it down, I'm gonna get mine. Write that down. I'm gonna get mine. If you wanna abbreviate it, you can say, I'ma get mines, all right? That's the kind of the short version. 
I'm gonna get mine. I'm gonna get mine. Now, here's the great thing about the kingdom of God. Because when people generally say something like that to you, I'm gonna get mine. I'm gonna get mine. Make sure I'm gonna get mine. You know, what they mean is that I'll do whatever it takes to get mine. I'll do whatever it takes to get what belongs to me, that I'll crawl over you, I'll trample you to make sure I don't miss out on what's mine. But in God's kingdom, don't miss this, like there is enough. Like in God's kingdom, you can get yours and you can get yours and you can get yours and I can get mine and there will always be leftovers because God is never in lack. He is in full supply. So you can get yours. That's what Paul's saying. I'm gonna, I'm gonna get mine. Again, I'm praying that some of you would just get a little teeth to your faith today. That you would be a little encouraged to, to maybe, and I don't mean this to be offensive, but just get a little more spine about you. That you would hold your head up a little bit more today. That you would hold your shoulders back a little bit more with confidence. That you would shake off a little bit more shame. You would shake off a little bit more guilt where you are. That you would say, you know what? God has great stuff for me and I'm gonna get mine. Tell your neighbor right now, turn to him and say, I'm gonna get mine. Look him in the eye and say, I'm gonna get mine. Now turn to your second choice neighbor because you all have one and tell them I'm gonna get mine. I'm gonna get mine. Like do it like, you're, like you mean it, like grit your teeth a little bit. I'm gonna get mine, whatever you wanna say. I'm gonna get mine. Let's pray and go home, right? Let's go. No, because that would be terrible for me to say, man, let's, let's get ours, let's, let's pray and leave and for you to get in your car and be like pumped up. That felt really good. What am I getting? Like I know I'm gonna get something. He said, I'm gonna get mine, I'm gonna get mine. After all, it sounded good, it feels good. But what am I going to get? I wanna show you today in God's word something that God says over and over and over again that we all can have. Something that, that he said that belongs to us. It's what Paul was talking about when he says, I'm gonna press on and I'm gonna take hold of all that God has taken hold of me for. Jesus announces it to us in Luke chapter four. If you have your Bible, open it up to Luke chapter four. If you have your, your cell phone, uh, your version app on your iPhone or your Android device, Here's what we discovered this week is that um, more people have downloaded the Elevate Church app on Android than they have on iOS. What's that about? Like if that's not a sign of the end times, I don't know what is, right? The world is just spiraling downhill quickly. But you can open up there to Luke chapter four, and this is where Jesus has, has showed up on the scene immediately following his 40 days in the wilderness, his 40 days of fasting and praying, where he was tempted by Satan, by the way, where, where Jesus experienced temptation, the same temptation that, that you and I have. Excuse me. Experienced temptation the same way. And what he did was he, he combated that temptation by using God's word. He resisted it by using the word of God against the enemy, which, by the way, there's your answer for when you experience temptation in your life to hold it to, to God's word, does it line up, does it match? Take that, that thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. So Jesus was tempted in the wilderness in all the big ways, uh, lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, pride of life, and he overcame that temptation, and now he shows back up in Luke chapter four, starting in verse 14, this is what it says, that Jesus returned to Galilee, and he returned in the power of the Spirit. The news spread through the whole countryside and he taught in their synagogues and everyone 
praised him because they were amazed at his teaching, at the authority in which he taught. It says he went to Nazareth where he had been brought up and on the Sabbath day he went to the synagogue as was his custom and he stood up to read. The scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, don't miss this, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he's anointed me, anointed him to do what? Preach the good news to the poor, to set the prisoners free, to open the blind eyes. It says he sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight to the blind, and to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Don't miss that. We're coming back to that. Then he rolled up the scroll. He gave it back to the attendant, and he sat down. He sat down. And the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him, and he began by saying this to him, to them, today, right now, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. The spirit of the Lord is on me. He's called me to, to preach the good news to the poor, to proclaim freedom for the captives, the prisoners, to open blind eyes. I don't know if you know this, but when we built this building, this part of the building did not exist. And so we kind of built it out this way, added this area so we could have our stage, so we could orient the room this way instead of being long and narrow, like going that way, we wanted to kind of get getting a little bit closer, as close as we could. But when we built this out, right below this spot right here in the concrete, we buried God's word. And it was opened to this verse where Jesus says, the spirit of the Lord is on me. He's, he's, he's anointed me to proclaim the good news because we knew that from this spot, we would constantly tell people about the good news of the gospel. That's buried right here. So and if we ever leave this building, we're gonna get a jackhammer. We're gonna jack that thing up, you know, and just kind of take that out. But he says in this, this verse, he's saying, this is why I came. He's giving his mission statement, his, his purpose in ministry. He's saying, I am here because I've been anointed to preach the gospel and to set the captives free. He's saying, this is the difference that I came to make in your, your life. And I've been anointed to do this, which by the way, that's what Christ means. Jesus Christ means the anointed one. I hope you didn't think Christ was his, his last name. It wasn't like Mary and Joseph Christ had a baby and they named him Christ, Jesus Christ, right? You're like, really? Yeah, really, that's not the way it worked. His, you know, Christ was an indication of his anointing. Well, anointing, what does that mean? Uh, in, the, in the Old Testament, priests would get anointed uh, to, for their purpose and they would pour head over the, pour oil, not pour head over the oil, pour oil over the head of the priest, and it would drip down their head and their face, drip through their beard. The Bible even says that it dripped off of Aaron's beard. And it was symbolic of the Holy Spirit coming on that person's life to equip them and give them power for ministry. And that's what Jesus is saying. I was anointed. The Spirit of the Lord is on me. I was anointed to preach good news. Colby, what is good news? You've heard that before, right? You've heard good news. What is good news? The good news of the gospel is this, that Jesus came to be the atonement for our sin, which means he came to pay the penalty for our sin because you and I were sinners. So he came as the, 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 the atonement for it. He died on the cross. He was buried for three days. He came back to life proving that he was who he says he was, the son of God, right? And that because of that had the uh, power and the authority to cover the sin in my life. Because you and I were, were sinners, and here's why that's good news, is because in the Bible, Adam and Eve sinned, 
From the very beginning, they sinned, and this is what theologians call that sin was imputed into us. In other words, we did not have to sin to be a sinner, that we were born that way. And someone's like, and I wasn't born a sinner. Yes, you were. Like nobody had to teach their, their two-year-old how to, how to bite or how to say mine, mine, mine or how to be selfish or how to have pride, right? Nobody had to do that. You and I came out of the womb that way. We were born sinners. And I'm not saying anything about your mama. I'm not trying to hate on your mama or throw shade on your mama, right? Like you were just born that way, that we all had, had sin. And because of that, you and I could not uh, fix the severed relationship between us and God because that sin was imputed into us. And so because of that, we needed hope. We needed to find a way in order to be made right with God. And so that's why Jesus ultimately came to make us right with God. And God knew that, that Adam and Eve would make that decision. In his foresight, he knew that they would decide that. Colby, why would, why would God allow people to decide that? Because he did not create us to be robots. He gave them free will. Only in free will can you have a real love relationship, right? And so he knew that's a decision that they would make in that moment. And so he set that plan in motion. In fact, the Bible says that before the foundation of the earth, the lamb was, was slain. So he knew that that was gonna happen. So he put this plan in motion for Jesus to be the, the atonement for that sin that had been imputed into us. And he did it through the nation of Israel. He grabbed Abraham and he gave him the Abrahamic covenant and he said, hey, through you, you're gonna be a blessing to all people. And so after Abraham came Isaac and then Isaac came Jacob and after Jacob in the lineage of Jacob came David and after David, right, came Jesus. And Jesus was born and because uh, we were imputed with sin, right, sin was in our bloodline, our bloodline was contaminated, Joseph could not be the biological father of Jesus because his bloodline was contaminated. So that's why the Holy Spirit had to come on Mary. I'm preaching now if you don't know it, but I am. And that's why the Holy Spirit came on Mary so that Jesus could be that penalty and payment for our sin. That's the good news of the gospel. And now Jesus shows up on the scene and he says, today this is being fulfilled. Because Isaiah prophesied it thousands of years before that the Messiah would come. And so Jesus walks in and, he's, and right now he, they are face to face with the fulfillment of that prophecy. Can you imagine that moment? And he says, today this is being fulfilled, that I am anointed to preach good news. And he says to the poor, well, Colby, who are the poor? Um, all of us. Because poor in this context, in this verse, is not referring to your, your economic status or your social status. It's referring to your spiritual status. That because you and I were, were apart from Jesus, spiritually bankrupt without him. And there's nothing that we could do. Our good would never outweigh our bad, right? We had to have a savior, because I'll talk to a lot of people and they say, Cole, I hope to get to heaven one day, and I just hope when I get there that my good will outweigh my bad. Listen to me, it won't. It can't. There are no scales in heaven, all right? Your good cannot outweigh your bad. Good people don't go to heaven. Saved people go to heaven. And it's saved by faith alone in Christ alone. That's it. And it was a gift, right, given to us freely. That's what a gift is. You don't pay for a gift. You can't earn a gift. It's free. You simply receive it and you enjoy it. That's why it's called grace. That's why the hymn says it's so amazing because it is. And Jesus says, that's why I'm here. 
is because I've come to tell you the good news to all of us who are spiritually bankrupt, all of us who are, are poor. I came to, to tell you about that, and he did all that so you could write this down, know God, so you could know him, not so you could know about him, not so you could know someone else's experience of him, but so that you could truly know him, that, that you could know him like a best friend, that you could know him like when he speaks to you, you would say, I know that voice anywhere. That's God, he's talking to me. When my wife calls, I don't need caller ID to tell me it's my wife. I hear her voice and I know that's my wife. I would know that voice anywhere. Do you know God that way? He wants you to know his voice, not so he has to speak to you in an earthquake or speak to you in a fire, but do you know him to where he could speak to you in a whisper? The kind of whisper that, that when, you're, when you're putting the baby down to sleep and, and you, you don't wanna wake the baby, but you still have some important things to say, so you get real close to each other and you whisper, do you know God that way? He says you can know him, not just about him, not your grandma's experience, not your mom's experience, not someone else's experience, not your, your church background experience of him, but do you know him? She said, I've come so that you could know God, so that you could know him. And if, and if you don't today, for some of you, maybe that's what you need to get. Maybe when you say, I need to get what's mine, that's what's yours. That's available to you. That is a, a free gift. That's not for, knowing God that way is not for super Christians. It's not for pastors. It's for every single person here. Do you know God? Do you truly know him? He said, I've come to preach to all the poor. That's everybody in this room. And then he says, I've come to proclaim freedom for the prisoners. So I've come to preach good news and I've come to give you, you freedom. Now here's, what I think many of us experience as Christians, if I had to guess, is that we will place our faith in Jesus. Maybe many of you have done that and you've confessed Jesus as Lord of your life one day in church and then you thought, all right, well my life was gonna be different now. Like I, I, I confess Jesus as Lord and so I go home and everything's gonna be great, everything's gonna be awesome, right? I'm gonna go and, and I'm not gonna have bitterness in my heart anymore. I'm not gonna have unforgiveness in my heart anymore. That everything is gonna be unicorns and rainbows and fur babies and nothing bad will ever happen. And that person that I wanna punch in the face at work is not gonna make me mad anymore and I'm not gonna wanna punch them in the face. And then you go to work on Monday and you're like, hold up, I still wanna punch that person in the face, right? Maybe it didn't work. Maybe when I confessed Jesus as Lord and I prayed that prayer at the end of, end, of, end of church, then maybe it didn't take. Maybe I didn't say it right. Maybe something went wrong. So this week, I'm gonna go back to church and when Colby prays that prayer and invites us to do it, I'm gonna pray it again. Please work this time. Please work this time. Please work this time. No. The Bible says if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. So now, positionally, you are saved. Like you are a child of God. If you've prayed that prayer, you've confessed Jesus as Lord, you meant it, you are saved. That is your position in Christ, but now you are in the process of becoming who God wants you to become, becoming who, who he's called you to become, inch by inch, bit by bit. Come on, wasn't that an amazing message on Mother's Day by my wife, Kristen? Inch by inch, little by little. It's not about the goals, it's about that daily grind. 
Like she killed it, by the way. I don't know if you, when you walked in this room, you smelled that, that fresh coat of paint. We had to repaint this auditorium because she preached the pain off of these walls, all I'm just trying to say. So you're positionally in Christ, but in process, you're still working some stuff out. And this is why it's, it's called, if you wanna jot this down, finding freedom. God wants you to know him that you could start to find freedom from these areas in your life that are holding you back. Find freedom from, from what, Colby? You find freedom from, from your yesterdays so that you could take hold of everything that God has for your tomorrows. That you could find freedom from your, your past so you wouldn't be you know, a prisoner to that. He says, I come to set the prisoners free. Well, Colby, I've never, I've never been to prison. You know, I'm not, I'm not a, a prisoner. Maybe you're in prison to shame. Maybe you're in prison to guilt. Maybe you're in prison to, to bitterness, to some unresolved, uh, something that you've held in your heart. Maybe you're a prisoner to that. And Jesus says, I've come to set you free. That you don't have to walk around with that. You don't have to carry that anymore. That's what God was doing, by the way, through the nation of Israel. He set them free. They were positionally free. I don't know if you remember, he, he sent Moses, said, hey, Tell Pharaoh, let my people go. He sent 10 plagues. Pharaoh said, get out of here. He started to take them out of there, right? They crossed the Red Sea. And in that moment, they were positionally free, all right? They were rescued. They were saved. Some of you, that's where you are. You're positionally free. You've confessed Jesus as Lord, and you are saved. But then God said, I have more for you. It's called the promised land. I have good things waiting for you. I have a place created for you. I have a purpose created for you. And so they, they wandered to the promised land and 12 went in, right? And 10 of them came back out and said, we can't do it. That they are too great, they are, are too big. You know what they were saying? They were saying everything that God has for us is too much. And the reason they were saying that is because they were still, they were still uh, looking through captive eyes a captive mentality. They weren't yet looking through, through free eyes. But Joshua and Caleb, right, they came out and they're like, hey, they're, everything that God has for us is awesome and let's go take it. They're not too big to, to beat, they're too big to miss. Let's go take hold, grab hold. We're not settled, we're not satisfied. Let's take hold of everything that God has for us. But they said no, so what happened? They ended up wandering around in the desert. They couldn't even go into the promised land because they were out of Egypt but Egypt was not out of them. Some of you, that's where you are. Positionally, you're saved. And praise God for that. This is not the heaven or hell issue. But you are out of Egypt, but Egypt isn't out of you. And the reason it's not out of you is because you don't yet fully understand that you now have been given power and authority to overcome the works of the enemy in your life. Like Jesus said, that's why I've come, to set you free, to open blind eyes, right, so that you would know you now have authority over the enemy in your life. But I think some of us, we live as though, um, like we don't have authority over the, the sin and the, the patterns and the, 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 the prison that we've confined ourselves into. We live as though greater is he who is in the world than he who is in us. But Jesus says, no, you now have authority over that in your life. And so I pray today we would understand that, that you would, that you would change your mindset, that you would understand that you wouldn't be settled and satisfied with, with where you are, but you would strive to find freedom in your life. That maybe today you get a, a fresh revelation 
of who you are and how much power you actually do have against the enemy in your life. And you would stand up and say, not today, Satan, right? Not today. Like, I'm knowing who I am. I am a child of God. I'm an heir to the kingdom of God that I am not under your feet. You are under my feet. I am saved and set free, and I have authority in Jesus. And here's what happens. The longer you walk in that freedom, the longer you understand the, the, the power that you have over the work of the enemy in your life, the less those lies of the enemy can hold you back from finding freedom. But here's what's also true. The longer you walk in bondage, the longer you are positionally saved, but the longer you, you don't find freedom in your life, the longer you walk as a prisoner, and the longer you stay, you know, in bondage, and some of you are like, holy, that's strong language. I'm not, I'm not in bondage. I'm not, I'm not hooked on anything. I'm not hooked on drugs. I might be hooked on phonics, but I'm not hooked on, ask your mom. I'm not hooked on anything else, right? Maybe you are in bondage to bitterness. Maybe you're in bondage to, to lust. Maybe you are in bondage to, to unforgiveness. There's a lot of different kinds of bondage. And Jesus says, I've come to set you free from all that. Not that you would just be positionally free and saved, but that you could find freedom in every area of your life, that you could know God, that you could find freedom. And then this is what he says. He says, I've come to proclaim all of this until I've come to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Real quick, you know what that is? Let me teach you for a second. That was known in the, the, the Israel uh, Hebrew calendar as the year of Jubilee. And the year of Jubilee happened every 50 years. So it, it says in Deuteronomy, I think, that every seventh cycle of seven years, right? So seven times seven is what? 49. It's 49. Good. You are learned people. Uh, 49. But after 49 years, that, that, that year after that, the 50th year, would be known as the year of Jubilee, and you should know, numbers are significant in God's word. This number seven uh, is the number of perfection, right? God rested on the seventh day. He said it's all good. That's perfection. 50 is significant, too. It was 50 days after the Israelites came out of Egypt, right, that the God met them on the mountain. It was 50 days after Jesus, you know, rose from the grave and ascended into heaven that Pentecost came when they were in the upper room. So numbers are important, but 50 years, the 50th year, was called the year of Jubilee, and in the year of Jubilee, big things happened. That in the year of Jubilee, if you had sold property to someone in the 50th year, you would get that back. It's like I sold it and now it's being returned to me. That's awesome. In the year of Jubilee, if you had given up territory to someone, that you would get that back. It would be returned to you in the year of Jubilee. In the year of Jubilee, if you were uh, in a, servant, a servant of someone's because you were in debt to them, well, in that 50th year, you were set free. Debt was paid. I mean, it was a big, big, big deal. In the year of Jubilee, no one worked the land. No one planted crops. They kind of let it lie. It was the Sabbath of Sabbath. So imagine this. Jesus shows up on the scene. He says, I've been anointed to preach good news to the poor to, to, so that you could find freedom in your life, set the captives free, you know, open blind eyes. And then he says to proclaim the year of the Lord's Favor, And then he says, today in your hearing, this is true. This has been happened already. You know what he's saying? He's saying that in the life of the believer, you don't have to wait for some cycle of cycles. In the life of the believer, you don't have to wait 50 years to be set free to things you have uh, indentured yourself 
into, some things in your life you've surrendered yourself into, but in the life of the believer, every year, every month, every day is the year of Jubilee. That should make someone happy today. That today, you can have that, you can find freedom. That that's for you. Somebody say, I'm gonna get mine. You can have that. It's for you. And then he says this, I'm, I'm almost done. I'm gonna have the band come out and help me shut it down. But he says this, and as Jesus opened the scroll, he's reading from uh, the book of Isaiah. Isaiah had prophesied about the Messiah coming, and he's reading specifically from Isaiah 61. He says, the spirit of the Lord is on me, the sovereign Lord. Uh, and because the Lord's anointed me to preach good news to the poor, and, and we've read all that, he says that. He says, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, which, by the way, that's not vengeance against you. That's vengeance against the power of the enemy over us. He's proclaimed that, that we have freedom, vengeance against um, the enemy, to comfort all who mourn, to provide for those who grieve in Zion, and to bestow on them, listen to this, a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. Now, I originally had it in my notes how I was gonna go into this whole thing, how God was able to, to turn some things around in your life. This is why Jesus came and Isaiah prophesied that we could be set free, that we could have um, uh, beauty, you know, for our ashes. That God could, could exchange that for our, for our ashes. He could give us beauty as we gave him our ashes. So I had this whole thing that I was going to be like, God's the God of the turnaround in your life. And it was going to be awesome, right? And we we're going to leave here and go, yeah, 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 that's good. Let's do it another week. God can turn some things around. It was going to be amazing. But the more I read it, that's not what it says. It doesn't say beauty for ashes. And if you're going to be uh, a responsible preacher, you're gonna preach exactly what the text says. You're not gonna preach what you think you want it to say. And so I read over and over, it says beauty instead of ashes, beauty instead of ashes, beauty instead of ashes. And what I discovered, it's not this exchange thing. It wasn't like you give me what's ashes in your life and I will exchange it for beauty, that's not what it says. If that is what it said, then the God of the turnaround would have been awesome, I promise you, it would have been good. But it doesn't say that. It says beauty for ashes. It says instead, beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. And so the more I read it, the more I realized what God was saying is that he preaches good news. He came to preach good news to the poor. He came to set us, us free from, from things that held us back in our life. And then for those who are receiving the gospel, those who would receive the good news, and for those who would pursue freedom in him that would be hungry, that would not be satisfied for where they are, he says that today, I make available for you, not sometime later, not another day, not in a month, not in a year, though that today I've already done it. It's not something I'm going to do, it's something that I've already done, that today you can have beauty instead 
of ashes. You can have joy instead of mourning. You can have a garment of praise instead of one of despair. And then it says he sat down. Can I tell you something? You don't sit down unless you're done. If the work is not finished, you don't sit down. In fact, when Jesus died on the cross, his last words were, it is finished. And what's he doing now? He is seated at the right hand of the Father because if he says it's done, it's done. You can have it here, you can have it now, you can have beauty, you can have joy, you can have praise. Come on somebody, let's be grateful to God that it's available today. And if it's available for me, then I want it, I'm gonna get mine. Somebody say, I'm gonna get mine. I'm gonna get mine. Come on, if you're not standing, stand to your feet. Would you bow your head, close your eyes with me. God, we thank you so much that we have this available to us right here and right now. Like we can call things in our life ashes, but why would we? Or we can, we can call it beauty and say that God makes all things beautiful in his time. We can call it uh, mourning, but we could say that, that we have joy and that we count it all as joy. Whatever we face, whatever we go through, we could have a, a garment of despair, but why would we put that on? Instead of putting a praise in the middle of whatever it is that we're going through. So today, God, we ask that if it's available to us, that you would give it to us, that we want it. And we want it now. While we're praying, every head bowed, every eyes closed, for some of you, maybe you don't really know God. Maybe you knew uh, an idea of God or you knew someone else's experience with God, but you never had your own. The most important thing, the reason why we are here is that you would know God, that we would tell you about the good news of the gospel that every single one of us are sinners and we've all fallen short of the standard that God has given to us. And because of that, and because we had no hope on our own of closing that gap, of, of fixing that broken relationship between us and God, that sin that was imputed into us from the beginning, that God made a way through Jesus, is not good news, it's the best news that you've ever heard. That Jesus came so that you would know God, let me ask you a question with every head bowed, every eyes closed. Do you know God? Like, do you really know God that way? Is he your best friend? Do you know his voice? You know him when he speaks to you, when he whispers to you? Like, do you know him? Today you can know him. Today you can get what's yours, and that's for you. Maybe you've come to church and you said, I've prayed the prayer, you know, but nothing has changed in my life. Maybe you're a... Uh, you're positionally, you're saved, but you want to be set free. And you're in that journey now. I'd say don't give up. Continue to understand that you have authority and power over the work of the enemy in your life. So hang on to that. Hold on to that. Like, say, God, I want to see every promise that you have for me fulfilled in my life, that I am not satisfied, that I am still hungry, that I am not going to be settled in my faith. I'm tired of dealing with the same stuff over and over that I want to take hold of everything for which Christ has taken hold of me for. And so maybe you'd resolve to do that today. But with every head bowed, every eyes closed, if you want to know God and you want to place your faith in Jesus, I want to lead you in a prayer that does that. This is the beginning. This is where we start. This is why we're here and why Jesus came. So that you could know him. So that you could be saved from the sin that we carry. If you'd say, Colby, when you pray that prayer, I'm praying it with you. 
And today I'm gonna mean it. With every head bowed, every eyes closed, would you raise your hand and just say, here I am. I wanna pray with you. But also, you're acknowledging it before God. God, save me. God, save me. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for this free gift of grace. Thank you that I can be saved. And I don't have to be, uh, my sin does not have to hold me back from being a child of yours any longer. Awesome, you guys. You can put your hands down. Pray something like this in your heart. Say, Jesus, today, I surrender my life to you. Thank you for coming with the good news of the gospel, that the lamb was slain before the foundations of the world to save me. And so today I confess Jesus is Lord. I know that I am a sinner and I repent. Just tell him that. God, I know that I was born this way and I repent. Save me, set me free in Jesus' mighty name, amen. Come on, you guys celebrate with those today that made the best decision of their life. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. We hope you enjoyed the message. If you made a decision to follow Jesus into your life and accept him as Lord and Savior, we would love to know about it. You can go online to elevatechurch.com forward slash yes, and there will be some practical next steps for you to take along this journey. If you want to commit to fueling the mission and vision of this church to see people far from God reach their full potential in Christ, you can go online to elevatechurch.com forward slash give.